0: Hello and welcome back to Keeping It Current. It's been far too long since we last dominated your airwaves or deafened you. And uh, just in time for Christmas as well. For, so though, for some of you, this may ruin your Christmas. But for others, it may just make it a tiny little bit better. So this week we are talking about all things Boris's Christmas party. What party, I hear you say? Well, believe it or not. There are pictures and there are some incredibly dodgy quiz names that they had, including Professor Quiz Witty. And of course, the big by election result where the Lib Dems pulled out a massive swing against the Tories to claim the North Shropshire seat and also the latest on COVID. Plus, we have the return of some old favourites. We have the return of Guess Who's Talking. And as well as that, we have the return of Quiz the Ads, but it's Quiz the Christmas ads and I cannot do this alone, I am joined by... Well, I am an award-winning journalist now. Jacob is not an awards-winning dum-dum. He didn't even win the award because he was that bad. <laughs> I'm going to file for workplace harassment. <laughs> yes, Jacob is back as political analyst. Jacob, how does it feel to be back after all this time? Well, Thomas, it feels
1: like my life was on hold, and now we press the play button again, The the birds are singing again. The sky is blue again. And um, I'm I'm
0: very glad for it. I'm very glad for it. So, up first, we are going to be talking about that Christmas party. (music) What do cheese, wine, nibbles and secret Santa have in common? Well, they're not part of the rewritten version of my favourite things for me. They were part of the Downing Street Christmas party. It was alleged that last year (laughs) that there was Christmas parties going on in Downing Street while the rest of us were in strict lockdown restrictions. So, Jacob, what do you think of this whole melee surrounding the parties?
1: Well, Thomas, um, this actually me feel quite angry and I I like to think I'm normally a placid guy but it's a very clear example of one rule for us and one rule for them. Now Labour have been using that slogan for months and uh, I think often political slogans just sound good but this one perhaps has some truth to it. One interesting thing is that the story did not leak for almost a year Perhaps it's because journalists were present He wanted this uh, uh, story not to get out as much as the politicians did. Another thing is that it's now being investigated, but the cabinet secretary had to stand down from the investigation because it turned out there was a party in his office as well. It's interesting looking at um, the different responses. So, so the government's response came in three three parts. I think you could say the first part was there was not a party. The second part was if <laughs> is a party. Um, it, <laughs> It was still not quite a party and, you know, Boris and whoever else was not there. And the third part was, well, even if it rules were broken at this not party party, you know, retrospectively, the police don't investigate that. I mean, all three of those different arguments are plainly untrue and led by donkeys has been doing some interesting work they uh, got ted hastings the actor uh, who who plays ted hastings in line of duty to to voice a cool video that i encourage you to go and watch it's understandable the outrage because we were all abiding very strictly by the rules a lot of the time if not all of the time and you think at the very least of people who make the rules and who stand solemnly giving press conferences telling us to follow the rules should themselves follow the rules
0: and as you say about those journalists who got well supposedly invited to the party where was my invite boris why couldn't you invite the university of salford's first year journalist and student awards winner come on come on boris honestly i'm ashamed i'm ashamed Right. So, Jacob, obviously, we've seen some more rules come in because of the Omicron variant. Do you think that this will impact people following these new rules, the parties? Do you think it will impact that?
1: So that's an interesting question. I mean, you can understand how it might. People think if the people making the rules and telling us to follow them aren't following the rules themselves, then why should we? But Boris, when he announced the move to so-called Plan B, just a day or two after the story broke, I mean, if you're being cynical, he would say he announced that change in order to to detract attention from from the party scandal. But Boris's answer was basically this, uh, whatever is going on in the media, people can tell that what we're giving them is important medical advice. And, and I think that's true to a large extent. I think people know that COVID is serious. They know they do not want to catch it, isolate, pass it on to people. But it might speed up the process of people basically being fed up by this. Now that it's more of a realm of individual responsibility, you know, you can have a Christmas party this year. But is it a good idea? Well, it's up to you. There's certainly more room for people to say, well, I, I'm... I'm I'm going to, you know, to hell with it, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, as opposed to behaving within a strict set of rules that ultimately were policed.
0: I found it was interesting, the timing, the announcement of the Plan B restrictions, because this came on the day, it's like the day after the whole story broke, when the Allegra Stratton video got released. And it's weird how the press conference got moved from its usual 5pm slot to 6pm. What also happens to be on at 6pm? The 6 o'clock news! And of course, that would be the leading story. So we see what you are doing there, Boris. Do you have to say, Thomas, it's not just that, but on
1: Sunday, his whole booster address, you know, fair, fair enough, Booster's is incredibly important, the, the way out of this mess we're in at the minute. But it's somewhat reminiscent of an authoritarian state when the Prime Minister can command the airwaves and then not field any questions from journalists, not field any opposition from MPs it was a day later that Keir Starmer the leader of the opposition got his chance to say something so they're definitely trying to trying to spin it this way another thing that I think is interesting so Allegra Stettin, you mentioned Thomas she's the one who featured in that video and, and resigned and and in many ways she seemed like the bad guy because she was there laughing about this party that she knew about. But I have read a couple of things saying that uh, actually it, it's very unfortunate what happened to her, because first of all, as she said on the video, she didn't attend the party. Perhaps her, her, her laughter was like nervous. Like it, clearly it's something that's, that's unexplainable. And then at the end of the day, she did the right thing. OK, she, she resigned and, and apologised. And no one else has done that. And so, in many ways, I think Boris and others could learn from her.
0: So, speaking of Boris, Boris is now gonna join us and Jacob's gonna ask him a few questions. So, Jacob, fire away. So, Boris, did you enjoy your not party? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We I want to see I'm a, I'm great, I I, I apologize a lot to the great British public. But I've got to say. That I apologize for the party, but I can categorically deny there was no party, no party on my watch in, 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 in 10 Downing Street. Uh, yeah, 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 well, yeah, yeah, the party, there was no party, no cheese, no wine. But I got to say, I did get one of my great friends, a brilliant Secret Santa present, a 200 million pound PPE contract. Yeah, yeah. Boris, what were the nibbles like? Were they tasty? Ah, uh, well, Jacob, I have to tell you, the the nibbles were delicious. Oh, sorry, sorry. There, there were no nibbles because there was no our uh, party. But uh, good to see the 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 little the little quiches, the little quiche Lorraine, were absolutely fantastic. Ah, uh, 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 forgive me, uh, 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 forgive me, uh, uh, uh. Forgive me, uh, Jacob. Have you ever been to a uh, Peppa Pe- Pig world? <laughs> no,
1: but I did have a bacon sandwich a few days ago. And and which team won the quiz?
0: Oh, well, uh, well, uh, I got to say may- this. They may be a bit rude for the uh, your your listenership on the uh, on uh, keeping it crap. No, sorry, uh, keeping it current. I uh, do apologize for the rude word there. But uh, it was Santa's hoo-hoo-hoo's. who who who's who. Wait. The second, the last hoe was uh, spelled H O E S. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Good stuff.
1: Final question: Do you remember much from that night, or or whether whether I won too many drinks?
0: Oh, yeah, well, There was a lot of wine there. there was cheese. there was a, a great amount of uh, mingling with um, with I uh, yes with uh, Laura Quensburg, my favorite journalist, because she's a. Uh, She's secretly paid by the Conservative Party. Oops! I, 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 I dug myself into even deeper hole by telling that on the show. But uh, it's uh, I, 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 don't. Uh, no, no, I, I cannot remember anything because there was categorically no party, and the entirely independent Cabinet Secretary is on the case. Simon Case is on the case, and uh, now it is case closed. Bah, yeah, <laughs> Right, so that was very interesting there to hear from the Prime Minister. So now it's time for a bit of a break for a game. It's time for the return of Guess Who's Talking. Now it's time for the return of Guess Who's Talking, the part of the show where myself and Jacob go head-to-head in a battle of quotes. We each give each other four quotes and four politicians, and we have to match up the quotes with the politicians so jacob is answering first so here goes the greatest gift is the ability to forget to forget the bad things and focus on the good quote number two we rise to challenges we will meet them we're well prepared for them we'll get through them we'll emerge on the other side stronger number three i consider myself a selfie specialist and number four, if you sit and wait to feel like you are the most confident person in the room, you are probably going to be left by yourself. And the politicians are Nicholas Sturgeon, Rishi Sunak, Jacinda Ardern and Joe Biden.
1: So talking about meeting challenges emerging stronger, that, that sounds like what a leader would be talking about for covid Sunak is the only person who's not a leader, so I'd rule him out. But Biden tends to like these sort of like large grandiose rhetorics. Could imagine it coming from Arden as well, maybe managing to sound a bit more sincere. But selfie specialist, I could imagine Sunak saying that he does like the uh, the social media or just in Arden. So, what, what I'm going to do, I'm going to say the selfie specialist is Jacinda Arden. The meat challenges emerge stronger. I'll put that as Big Boy Biden. Forgetting the bad and confident. <sighs> confident sounds like a bit of a weird thing to say. Let, let's just put it as Sunak.
0: So, you've got forget Joe Biden. Challenges being raised is Rishi Sunak. Consider yourself a selfie specialist, this Nicola Sturgeon. And if you sit and wait to feel like you're the most confident person in the room, it's Jacinda Ardern. Jacob, you got them all wrong. Oh, no. It's time for my turn. I just need one point to win this. Come on. (laughs) I can do this. this. I'm pumped up for this. Come on. (laughs) So
1: uh, I I have done this with a little bit of a twist. I have three quotes, but four politicians and all will become clear later. Uh, So the first quote is is actually back and forth. So someone says, Sir, you are drunk and the politician replies, and you, Bessie, are ugly, but I shall be sober in the morning and you will still be ugly. Um, The second quote, and i beeped a bit out of this uh, just to not give it away. Why am I the first beep in a thousand generations to be able to get to university? Why is my wife beep the first woman in her family in a thousand generations to be able to get to university? And the third one is <laughs> rarely is the question asked, is our children learning? The four politicians are Biden, Bush Jr.,
0: Churchill, and Kinnock. <laughs> the university one sounds a bit of a british thing because Americans call it college don't they we're going to college i think sir are you drunk i, don't know. <laughs> I think that might be a joe biden thing i'm going to go with joe biden for that i'm going to go with the last one the uh, is children's are learning or something like that i think that's bush then the middle one i'm going to go with i'm just trying to think first at university I suppose if he's a labor politician then Maybe it's from a working class family, so I'll go with Kinnock for that one.
1: Well, Mr. Ridley, it uh, greets my cheese to say it, but you got two of them right. Ooh. Uh, oh, that's a that? sound that we should all record and set as our text message to. <laughs> um, so, sir, you are drunk, and you, Bessie, are ugly, but I shall be serving in the morning, and you will still be ugly. Winston Churchill. Oh, okay. okay. The one about University was the trick one actually, because yeah. it was originally by Neil Kinnock and then yeah. Joe Biden plagiarized it, and that's the reason his first presidential bid in the 1980s was unsuccessful because he was caught plagiarizing it. I would have accepted Kinnock or Biden for that mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, uh, Bushism rarely is a question asked is our children learning? <laughs> um,
0: very entertaining. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't win many of those, I'm pleased with that. I guess the uh, Oxford PPE student over there. Uh, <laughs> you're proving up to your dumb, dumb credibility ticket. That's the end of Guess Who's Talking. Now it's time to talk about the other news this week. This week we have gone to plan B of the government's winter COVID plan, which has meant that... Now, people are being advised to work at home once again. Masks have been brought back in in cinemas and theatres. And from Wednesday, you had to have a COVID passport to go into large gatherings, your football matches, your concerts and your nightclubs. So, Jacob, there was a big Tory rebellion over the COVID vaccine passes. Why do you think that was the case? Well, let's take them at their word. What did they say?
1: They said COVID passes would be not effective and a constraint on liberty. Now, how much, how much is that the case? Not effective. To an extent, I would agree with him on this. Why? Because currently, the NHS app, when you get your COVID passport, it's for two jabs. And two jabs offer very little protection against Omicron, uh, unlike free jabs. And so if you're saying you can come into this venue if you've got two jabs, but Omicron is everywhere, then that's not very effective. There is the alternative of a lateral flow. On uh, rights, this is a heck of a lot milder than a lot of European countries. So first of all, some European countries do not have the option of substituting vaccination for testing for passes like this or if they do, they make you pay for the test. And also, if you look at places like France or Germany, you need them to go in cafes, restaurants, whereas in the UK, it's what sporting venues um, for, and stadiums with 10,000 people or more if it's outside. I'm not sure on the specifics, but a fun fact, Car United made made the headlines because they limited their capacity to nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine in order to not have to check COVID passes. Which of course, Carl United has sadly not had nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine spectators in many years. Therefore, this question on liberties, I think the plan is a lot a lot milder. I think it gives it gives options to people who don't want the vaccine. You must also approach the question of liberty from well, what is the best way to control the virus? Because you take someone's liberty from them if they catch COVID and end up in the hospital or worse, and you take someone's liberty from them if the situation gets so bad that you have to impose stricter measures.
0: What's interesting, I think you said about the Carly United thing, they they don't get 9,999, they get 4,000, which is about a quarter of their capacity. So they'd have all their fans would be able to get it, even if they reduce the crowds down to 25% again. it's interesting as well, because the numbers, are, they go, they're going up, they're going up. People you know who are getting the virus now, people you know who are isolating, etc. It's becoming more and more prevalent. I think there's been uh, COVID outbreaks on Strictly Come Dancing, there's been... Uh, The football has been hit massively. As you mentioned about Carl United, their game didn't actually go ahead this weekend.
1: I mean, the interesting thing, Thomas, about all of it, there have been a number of COVID outbreaks in clubs in the Premier League matches cancelled. And the vaccination rate among footballers is is surprisingly low. I don't have the exact Mm. figures. Part of that is something to do with uh, footballers specifically. Part of that is because footballers are young. And actually, although we've got a fairly strong vaccine take up overall among, among younger people, you know, the sort of under 30, under 25, it, it's quite weak. It's sort of less less than three quarters. And, and, and so this is one thing that's a bit underreported is that you, you, you see a country, you see, you know, what percentage of people are vaccinated. But what is very important is the distribution of that vaccination. So what we've done really well on is having a very, very high percentage of older and therefore the most vulnerable people vaccinated. It's, it's around 95 percent. In some of the oldest age, age cohorts, it's literally 100 is, mm-hmm. percent is, is what the official figures show. And so that means in terms of hospitalizations and deaths, we're in a very good position there. In terms of the cases, because the vaccination rate is so much lower among young people, but not in as uh, much of a good position. But perhaps that will change now. That you need a COVID pass to get into a nightclub. These youngsters, uh, I, say, I say that like a, I'm <laughs> 19. What <laughs> am I, I saying? Know, <laughs> these youngsters.
0: Oh no, help me, Thomas. <laughs> yeah, I know. Help me. First, you're, most youngsters are. i doing it as well now. expect that Saturday nights going out, something, but we're recording a podcast. Happy. So we yeah, well,
1: at least I'm not 20 unlike like the host of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh. Same age category uh, t- t- as
1: people t- who have mortgages and careers and <laughs> partners and maybe even children.
0: <laughs> time, will, uh, time will catch up with you, my friend. I've seen some rumours this morning, actually, from I think it was the Times who broke it first about the next plan. Plan C would be a circuit breaker, which would involve uh, indoor mixing bands for two weeks alongside hospitality just being open as beer gardens, which would be in January, imagine that minus fire when you're sitting outside having a pint of a glass of wine (laughs) as well I think it was um, stuff like, the shops would still stay open but it would just be mainly hospitalities and big gatherings would go on the down low do you think that would be a good idea Jacob? I mean this is a very tricky question,
1: first of all minutes from SAGE so the government's advisory body um, for this sort of thing uh, from Thursday were leaked to the BBC, and they said that if the government wants to keep hospitalisations under control, then you need to go back to step one or step two of the roadmap for easing lockdown at the start of this year. And so that seems to be their view. And on a side note, I still think it's absolutely scandalous that the only way we have up-to-date SAGE minutes is through leaks to the media I know they come out eventually, but we know how fast evolving COVID is. Those minutes should be published immediately. And in my opinion, there should be opposition politicians sitting on those committees as well, because the more information we have, the better. Would a lockdown be a good idea? Well, that depends on on what's going to happen. We've seen a huge spike in cases, which will presumably continue without further measures. Uh, having said that, schools are now shut, and we know that schools are a big, uh, a big source of transmission. Previously, schools shutting for the October half term, for example, redu- reduced the number of cases. But you got cases are very high. You've got to assume that will keep growing as Omicron becomes increasingly dominant. And so the question is, is that going to turn into hospitalizations and deaths? And we don't know that because we, we, we know that Omicron is a lot more infectious than Delta. We don't know if it is less severe. Now, there are suggestions that it's less severe, but it's not clear whether that's the case, and if so, how much. For example, it's, it's very possible that actually it's just as severe, but people are more likely to be reinfected, so who, are, who have already been infected, and it's milder among those people. Now, if it is less severe, that 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 is good news. It's not a magic bullet because if the new variant is doubly as infectious but half as severe, then it is still in the same crappy situation. Uh, so we just don't know. We we do know that boosters are effective, and the government has said that everyone will be offered offered, but not necessarily given a booster by the end of the year. Now that seems very very ambitious. But the government, um, when it's been giving its uh, its targets of vaccines, has it's met all of them, which leads you to think that the government only sets vaccine targets that it knows it can reach. So I hope for that. We've also got the antiviral drugs that seem to be very effective. One thing that has to be in the calculation is not just what you think will happen, but how much risk you're willing to tolerate. Another thing is
0: how uh, would people be willing to tolerate a lockdown, and that's unclear. There was a by-election this week. Hooray, we love elections here on Keeping It Current. And this one threw up a big surprise as North Shropshire, which was a seat which was conserved since its existence, really, turned Liberal Democrat with a massive swing. I think it was about 34, 34 30, 34, 34%. Wow. So, Jacob, what did you make of this election thing? Because you think... How how much is it to blame on party gates? And how much is it to blame on what happened with Owen Paterson? So
1: there was no doubt that part of the result was driven by those two things you mentioned and several others. The point to note is that governing parties very rarely do well in by-elections. It's a way to kick for government. So the question is, is this just another another instance of that? Or is it is it something more serious? I mean, the scale of a swing. So I read that it was the seventh biggest swing in any election since the war. And if you consider we've had like, what, 10, 15 general elections, each with 600 odd constituencies, you're about saying something to be in the top seven. It was a very, very big swing. Is it just a momentary thing? Will it be more indicative? Because but you can point to... Um, by elections that were perhaps the start of the end for uh, Margaret Thatcher, John Major, Gordon Brown. Probably you can only tell it, it, retrospectively, but certainly uh, not just a defeat, but the scale of a defeat was uh, was a bad day for the Conservative Party.
0: Yeah, I mean, going from what well, there has about um, 20,000 their majority in votes, and they've gone not from just like and they didn't just squeak through the live-downs. They didn't just win it by about 100, 200 votes. They won it by 6,000 votes, which is huge to go from that. So do you think this would serve some pointers for the next general election? Because we know that obviously the Conservatives did win big majorities in a lot of seats. Do you think that this shows that maybe it's not as clean-cut as people may have thought the next election would be, that the Conservatives would stay in power? Do you think there could be big swings to, well, not just the Liberal Democrats, but to Labour or even the Green Party? I mean, that's, that's possible. It would be
1: staggering if anyone apart from the Conservative Party wins the next general election. That would represent the biggest swing between elections that the country would have seen since the war. But of course, we're living in unprecedented and volatile times. So it's certainly possible. I think a couple of things to note is that, first of all, Boris was able to get so much support, in part because of his Brexit stance. And that issue has effectively been taken off the table and not even the Lib Dems are suggesting that we we rejoin or anything like that. So that issue has been taken off the table. Maybe some of these Tory heartlands in the South are feeling a bit uppity about Boris's focus on the North, on levelling up. Another thing is that... Labour actually lost a fair number of votes between the two elections that didn't get much coverage. The reason is basically that, well, one of the reasons is that Labour ran a relatively low effort campaign because the Lib Dems were the favourite and that's not the first time uh, in a by-election that we've seen that happen. So if This marks an increased willingness between Labour and the Lib Dems to cooperate, at least implicitly, uh, and you've got some tactical voting in play and that sort of thing, then then that could certainly
0: alter the outcome of the election as well, Thomas. It's um, worth pointing out that this is not the first time this year that this has happened, because it happened in Chesham and Amersham earlier this year as well. So now we're going on to a new segment of the show. That's right, we are going to rank... Some of Parliament's most stupid moments in Parliament's Hall of Fame. So, this is Parliament's Hall of Fame. I have picked five stupid moments from the 21st century that have happened in Parliament. And what I'm going to ask Jacob to do is rank them from five to one, with five obviously being the lowest the least iconic, the least stupid, or depending which way you want to rank them. And then we will compare them to my rankings. So here are your moments, Jacob. Number one is Dennis Skinner and Dodgy Dave. This Dodgy Dave run. I I mean, it, it never gets less funny. You know, you still laugh every time you watch it. Number two is when the mace got stolen in Parliament. Number three is when Ian Blackford called Theresa May a liar. Number four was when there was the whole illegal prorogation of Parliament back in 2019. That's not really a stupid moment, but still, an iconic Parliament moment. And number five is every single John Burko order. Order, order, order. Okay, so... I'm
1: thinking I have a ranking. In joint fourth place, I'm going to put Dodgy Dave and Ian Blackford saying about liars. Uh, And I put them in the same because they both fall into this category of unparliamentary language. What can you and what can't you say in parliament? One of my favourite parliamentary quotes I like, I'm sorry, I can't even remember who said it, but someone said, half the cabinet are asses, And the speaker said that some parliamentary language take it back. So a person said, I'm sorry, half the cabinet are not arses. For mace stolen, I mean, that was, that was an act of protest. It's, it, it, I think it's interesting because of what it tells us about parliament, you know, this, this great tradition that parliament can't possibly sit or, or, or debate without this mace, um, you know, very British. Second place I would put Thomas Burke's
0: Order! order, 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 order. order. And <laughs> I would
1: say that because it's it's representative of a time when Parliament was very, very active with the Brexit commotion, became known around the world, and Burke, of course, is a very controversial figure himself, some, including me, Commend him on giving backbenchers more power. Others uh, criticize him for allegedly being being biased against the Tories. And to be fair, he has subsequently uh, defected to Labour. And number one would definitely be that illegal prorogation of Parliament. I mean, you 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 can't make this stuff up. It it comes from a sort of authoritarian dystopia where you yeah. can just shut Parliament down to you know pass whatever you want. Uh, a key moment for our. Judicial system as well. Um, Lady Hale famously sitting with her spider brooch and saying that it was illegal. And and, and sadly, the consequences of the government now do not like the courts. or well, didn't anyway. That was my ranking, Thomas. What is your ranking?
0: <laughs> We're more or less the same. I decided not to go with a joint fourth. I went bottom as being Ian Blackford and Liar. Number four was Dennis Skinner and Dave. I simply believe the delivery was better on this one. He just goes like, dodgy Dave! <laughs> <laughs> he, <laughs> he, uh, he gave a bit of gusto. Uh, number three was the mace being stolen, as you say. Obviously, Parliament can't sit without the mace. Number two is Burko's orders, or dare, or or dare. And number one is the illegal prorogation. It must have been important because I remember we did a full A level politics lesson on it. So that's what we thought. You can send in your thoughts. You can go to the keeping it current Twitter page at current underscore it, go to the Instagram page at keeping it current2021, or go to the Facebook page at keeping it current, or you can always email in at keeping at So now we're moving on to a Christmas themed quiz, the ants. Mm-hmm. So it's time, to, it's time for the return of quiz the ads, not win the ads for copyright reasons. This is where we quiz each other on the adverts that we see on TV. And this time, it's a Christmas-themed one. So it's actually quiz the Christmas ads. So Jacob is answering first. Here is question one of three. Paddington Bear appeared in which shop's Christmas advert in
1: 2017. Yes. Uh, I'm a fungus, Thomas. I'm sorry. Let me guess M S. <laughs>
0: You're correct. Am I? Uh, yes. Oh, great stuff. You won't get this one. <laughs> Who covered the keen hit somewhere only we know for the John Lewis Christmas ad in 2013?
1: Yes. <laughs> I think it was Stormzy.
0: <laughs> I was start imagining Stormzy rapping into the Man on the Moon Christmas advert. <laughs> yeah, blood, Man on the Moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's eating a prune. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Except for Man on the Moon was not easy a prune, Thomas. He was looking out
0: of his uh, telescope. I know, but it was just something that ran with Moon. <laughs> just something that ran with Moon. Okay. <laughs> No, it was actually Lily Allen. <laughs> Your final... It, it, this is actually about Man on the Moon. Which company made a cheeky parody of the 2015 Man on the Moon advert by John Lewis?
1: Oh, This rings a bell, a distant bell, a faint bell. I'm going to guess it was Aldi.
0: Yeah, correct, Jacob. You scored two points. It was a decent, decent show. Decent, decent. Better but, but, than our last quiz. <laughs> better than, yes, he was talking. And better than all our, of our Zoom quizzes last year. <laughs> yeah,
1: we, we, we don't talk of us.
0: How many weeks in a row did you come last? About seven or
1: eight? <laughs> it's, it's the taking part that counts. <laughs> ah, no, it isn't. And the spirit of tenacity.
0: <laughs> it's my turn now. <laughs> Go
1: ahead, Jacob. <laughs> okay, the first question. Which I prepared long in advance. There is a
0: radish
1: on the Aldi Christmas advert. What this year? What is its
0: name? God, the carrot's called Kevin. Well, I, I don't know, but I'm going to go with a controversial thing from Aldi's past year. And I'm going to call it Cuthbert. Cuthbert <laughs> the radish. Cuthbert the radish.
1: Um, Sadly not. It was Marcus Radishford. Oh,
0: that's bad. That's that's poor.
1: Um, A second question. One of my favourite adverts. You have a priest, and I think it's an imam, um, so two religious leaders, different religions, Uh, but this beautiful advert shows both that everyone has something in common, and that Amazon does speedy one day or next day delivery on Prime. What did they order for two religious leaders for each other on Amazon Prime?
0: Mm. 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 Ah. I don't
1: want to hear that sound again. Mm.
0: Mm. <laughs> mm. Ah, you just did. <laughs> um. I have nightmares tonight. Good. <laughs> <laughs> right, I don't know. Let's just say it's a box of quality street. I mean, I'm sure
1: many religious leaders, like of us, enjoy quality. Oh streets, no, no, I'm...
0: was it Terry's chocolate orange
1: instead? <laughs> it was not. I'm afraid it was some knee pads. <laughs> uh, for, for all of the frame that they do, Sony's <laughs> touching moment, even if Amazon is is, is an evil company. Third question, Thomas, is about the Tesco advert of 2021. Why is Santa potentially not going to be able to deliver Christmas presents this year?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with a funny answer here, Jacob. Was it because he's been pinged by test and trace?
1: <laughs>
0: I, uh, I, think that deserves half
1: a point. The actual hey! answer is that he, well, he did show his uh, COVID pass at the airport, so he didn't have to quarantine. But if he hadn't shown it, if he didn't have his two jabs, then he would have had to quarantine and would have been fourteen days late. Or 10 in, days late. in
0: in in the look in the luxurious airport premiering.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> probably owned by. They're friends of Conservative ministers.
0: Right. So, Jacob won that one with his um, slightly easy questions and what uh, my hat. <laughs> Pardon. <laughs> well, it's all about taking part, as you said before. <laughs> Not a this quiz, it isn't. <laughs> it's all about taking part, yes. <laughs> right. That's the end of quiz the Christmas ads. Now it's time for a review of this episode. It's been great to have been back doing this episode of KIC, I've also put out a poll on Spotify saying, are you more or less likely to follow COVID restrictions now than you were before it emerged about the parties at Downing Street? So make sure you answer that poll because it's cool, it's a cool tool. Jacob, has it been good being back on this show? It's been very enjoyable.
1: Thank you, Thomas, for having me back. Each time, I think it won't happen, and each time you you come. You must, you must have been desperate, but I answered your call.
0: No, Jacob, you're the best man for the job. I completely believe that. And um, you know, when, when when you've got an Oxford student in your um, phone book, you may as well make use of their their number as, you know... They'll get some great contacts and hopefully I might get a free peerage in the House of Lords. But anyway, thank you guys for listening and tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I don't know when we'll be back again. We may be back again. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what happens in this COVID world? I've made too many false promises on this show. I mean, every time I go, oh yeah, we're going to be back for another series in about two weeks' time, we never are. So, I'll say we won't be back for another series ever. And then we may be back for another episode. Who knows? Right, so I'm off to get some cheese, wine and nibbles and to take part in a bit of Secret Santa. But until next time, we won't be keeping it cool. Oh, we but we will, will be, be keeping, keeping it current. current. Goodbye. Goodbye.